imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop and nail Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's the real world, I choose to go my life to. That's okay. It means something, it means something. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It's a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. And we have two special guests today. Uh, Buzz Osborne returning uh, and showing an incredible uh, array of toys behind him which I we were talking about earlier and uh, Mr. Trevor Dunn. And it's, it's great to have you guys on, man. This is a, it's a joint appearance, a joint allied appearance. Yep. Trevor looks like, are you in a pool hall? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in a bar actually. I'm the only one here. You pool sharking. Is that what's going on? <laughs> Nobody there. Not wearing a mask. I like it. <laughs> got to stay busy in these quarantine times and if there's rubes to be uh hustled and you know that's the way you do it right uh, yeah when they're weak from covid you can really take advantage of them <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah I, I, california cases are spiking there's a whole bunch of counties that decided that uh, apparently it was a, a myth or that it was over or that they just didn't like gavin newsom or you know whatever so that that's exciting especially since you guys are meant to be you're meant to be on tour right now if i remember correctly right uh, heroin, heroin addicts are spiking too <laughs> <laughs> well you know they're bored they're bored that's part of the deal they're spiking it's <laughs> <laughs> a good point that's a yeah, literal translation our, our u.s tour would already be done but the thing about it is, even without the COVID thing, Trevor and I don't get along. So I don't know how long. <laughs> yeah, who knows if we would have even finished it. <laughs> we could have got out of California. Exactly. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you too. Let's break up. Okay. Uh, get out. Well, we were throttling each other by the middle of the the 2012 tour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I just keep Trevor all juiced up. And then he, then he was okay. He's really easy to deal with. Are you in uh, uh, your parents' house? I am, yeah. I'm up in uh, Humboldt County. Are your parents wow. pool sharks? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. I was, I, was raised on, I was raised by hustlers. <laughs> it shows. It, it, it shows in your music. His dad was a, was a dragster, dra- drag racer. Yeah. Like a rail. Like a rail drag racer, you know. That's really? pretty impressive. That I had one of those. Yeah, it was like a, it was a hobby of his. Uh, he quit actually right around the time I was born because, uh, I mean, back then there were a lot of accidents, and you know he knew guys who like died on the on the you know on the track and you know left their kids behind. And I think after when he was about to have his second kid, he decided to hang it up. 
So you ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> so there goes the drag strip. The drag strip courage went down in flames, as it turns out. But he, he, he didn't care if he died after the first kid. No, so no, no, no. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so is it Arcada or Eureka that you're? That you're Eureka, on? actually. Yeah. Nice. I, I actually really like it up there. I think that's a. Humboldt's a very interesting place in the fact that the culture, you, you, you kind of have to make your own entertainment because it's just far enough removed from, uh, you know, the major cultural centers that you don't really have an option. You have to. And I've yeah. always been very impressed with the folks that come out of Humboldt uh, that way. It's, yeah, it's it's still, uh, it, it's, you know, speaking of COVID, it's, it's very naturally isolated place. You know, it's literally surrounded by Redwood Forest and you got to have a reason to come here, you know, un, you know, un, unless you want to get to Portland taking a five, you know, which is a lot faster, but, um, yeah, so there, there aren't very, uh, there are very few cases of the virus up here. Yeah. It's already pre socially distanced as it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then also you have all the people. Still- oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say there's the pe- there's the people that are socially distant because they're growing the weed too. You know, the whole murder mountain thing. <laughs> you want to buy pounds of weed? That's still freely available. <laughs> Over up, up here, it's more like sixteen feet dif- distance. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever see Trevor that documentary? I think it's, well, documentary docu series, uh, Murder Mountain. Did you ever see that? Yeah, definitely. I loved it. <laughs> Those folks in tropical I mean, fuckstorm turned me on to it, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I didn't know anyone. I I kept thinking I was going to see someone I know because I <laughs> I recognized I recognized all these characters, you know, all these kind of personalities, and and I thought, oh man, there's going to be someone in, from high school in this. I know it, but I ended up not seeing anyone I knew. <laughs> Did you? Uh, yep. Murdered on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they, they they redacted that part. Maybe. Uh, did uh, yeah. Buzz? Did you guys? play Humboldt back in the day when Melvin's were on tour? Did you, were you ever a Eureka Arcata? Yeah, we played up there a couple times, a few times. One time we were supposed to play with Biafra and he canceled and we were still going to play and uh, promoter wouldn't uh, pay us anything to do it. So we packed up our stuff and uh, went away. <laughs> I was going to say that, 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 that sounds, uh, that sounds very humble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The only time we got up there, we got up there in the uh, early nineties and, um, we were playing the show and we're like, everything is fucked up. Everybody is acting weird and nothing's running right. And what the hell is going on? And we found out, oh, it's a normal benefit. <laughs> <laughs> like that explains it. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know when we're going to start. I don't know. Totally. We're like, what the fuck is happening here? The weirdest show we've ever played. And it's a normal benefit. Oh, it's a normal benefit. Yeah, it's it's that, that hippie mentality, man. Oh, it's cool, dude. Mm, is it though? Is it really? <laughs> Literally like that. We're like, are we on fucking Mars right now? What is <laughs> Yeah, it's it's still weird up here. Yeah, yeah. something's never way, changed as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> it's way 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 the hell up there. And you grew up there. Yeah, and, and that's like, why I bring it up because it is because uh, it is just enough out of the way that if if folks are on tour and they're going there, maybe because oh I, we want to see the redwood forest or something along those lines, and or the things that you know people think that they can do on tour that they frequently do not have time for because of long drives, uh, and, and I've always been very impressed with it in a way. 
but it also was fascinating to me in the same way that like a place like Missoula is that it's so isolated that it's just I, again I'm repeating myself but you just have to make your own culture and uh, yeah. Trevor I think it's it's interesting because you grew up there right yeah in this house you they live in the same house you came home from the hospital too yep <laughs> wow yeah they had my parents had a couple apartments before they bought this house but I think that was even before my older brother was born. So yeah, it's, you know, I, I still have shit here in boxes from when I was, you know, a kid. Have you been going through them? I have. I've been actually, I've been selling a bunch of shit on eBay this week. Really? <laughs> yeah. What's your handle? <laughs> Anything good? Uh, Any good value? Uh, um, you oh, here, selling- here's, here's the, here's the latest thing that just sold. Check it out. Is it the pool table? How much for the pool table? How much for the oh. light? How much for the queue? Oh, well. What is Marilyn Monroe? Marilyn Monroe. I was going to say. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. So, uh, for, for the. I have no idea why I had that. For the one. Uh, was that your prom date on prom night? <laughs> <laughs> That's the hottest catch in Eureka, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> have you been selling uh, autographed uh, uh, high school annuals? Uh, no, I haven't, but yeah. Mike Patton. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did just sell, um, I, there's a couple old bongo posters here that I, were in storage and I sold a couple of those. Oh yeah, I bet. Are they, are you have to like because, ship them to Bolivia or something? I'm, yeah. I haven't been doing any international, but, um, yeah. Because they meant so much to you. You had to sell them. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to sell all this stuff. It meant a whole lot to me. I saved it for the last 30 years. Exactly. And now it must go. Everything <laughs> must go. go. Quarantine <laughs> sale. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. What, 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 how long are you going to be up there? I'm actually uh, going to the Bay Area on um, uh, <laughs> Sunday, and then I fly back to New York on Tuesday. So cool. I've been up here like, man, it's the longest I've been here since I was since I moved out. Um, so I've, I've been up here, I think almost six weeks. Is it a more chill you- pandemic up there with everybody high all the time? Uh, <laughs> it's definitely chill. I mean, people are wearing masks and stuff, uh, but, um, but you're one up on yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, that's just, a, that's just a rob liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a use case. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So are you remembering why you left in the first place? <laughs> well, it's funny. Usually when I come, I come up here for the holidays and stuff and I usually stay, you know, four or five days before my family starts to drive me nuts. But, but, uh, actually it's been nice. I just, I actually, me and my mom have been going on some hikes and stuff and, uh, um, you know, just been kind of chilling here at the house. So it's not like, I don't even really know. I only know like two people here, you know, uh, and, I don't feel like hanging out with them. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like there's any common cause between like folks that like the townies or whatnot and 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 you having left? Well, I mean the 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 cultural uh, vapidness is still here. You know, like <laughs> thank God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that hasn't changed. Yeah. So. When you're when you're talking about uh, c- uh, coming up, and we're, we're going to stick with Humboldt here for for a bit. I, when you're coming up in a place like like Eureka and Arcata, uh, 
I think it's fair to say Bungles was a relatively idiosyncratic, was, is, relatively idiosyncratic band that developed your own lexicon of stuff. What was, what was the mindset when you're coming up? Was it, was it more just like, we're going to do this so we don't kill everybody around us? Or did you have aspirations for musicality beyond just, you know, playing in the, <laughs> in the greater Redwoods area? Like, what, what, yeah. where did it start? I think we were just um, lucky enough to be curious about different stuff. And, you know, there was, there was one cool record store here. Actually, it's, it still exists. It's not as big as it used to be, obviously. But, um, you know, uh, we spent a lot of time in that record store and checking out different kinds of music. And we would see whatever concerts we could up here, but there weren't that many. So a lot of times we'd have to drive five hours down to San Francisco to see shows, you know, or, or to go to tower records or, you know, to buy stuff that was more obscure. Um, so, you know, Trey and Mike and I just naturally kind of found each other because we were all curious and, and, you know, didn't want to succumb to what was going on around us, you know? So, um, I I guess it just, I I feel lucky that it just happened naturally that way. So were you yeah. aware, were you aware of the Melvins when you were uh, coming up? Yep, yep. I, in fact, I remember uh, there was an apartment that Trey, our guitar player, had. Um, me and Patton still lived with our parents, um, but he we would hang out at Trey's place. And I remember the first time I ever saw the Ozma cassette was over at that house and listening to it there. And of course, we were totally in a metal, so we're constantly listening to what's what is faster and faster you know yeah where's the six solos yeah (laughs) yeah and and like how much faster can slayer play you know and then and then we get this weird ass record ozma and we're like what the hell's happening we're still thinking that (laughs) (laughs) so and then buzz when did uh when did bungle and Uh, trevor come to your attention oh uh when um i was i mean i was vaguely aware of them i was never um massively aware of faith no more you know to this day i don't know a whole lot about faith no more um but i knew that um living in san francisco i knew that that mike had or the singer faith no more had another band i knew that but beyond that i didn't know much until they asked us to play with them and then uh the shows that we played with them starting i think the first one was at the kennel club would that have been right I think it's error appropriate yeah. at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was fucking packed to the rafters and Patton was MTV poster boy at that moment, you know? And so it was all people who were there that were faith no more fans. And, and they, I, I just c- couldn't believe how totally weird bungle was compared to the audience. that was there to see him. right there's an incongruity right (laughs) looks of confusion and like i I guess i'm supposed to be into this because i really love faith no more and and bungle did huge as a result of that and never changed or tried to be commercial at all at all and um i know there's some commercial elements and of course i'm speaking from my own perspective on it i just couldn't believe it that that a band that was that weird was doing bizarre. as well as yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, uh then we did a bunch of shows with bungle i don't know how many a few around and uh uh we just got viciously attacked by their band or by their fans and i was like you know we're 
we're a weird band. That's there's no question of that. But we're not even close to as weird as Bungle. And you guys hate us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you would think if you liked one, that like maybe the other would you have at least an open mind towards, right? <laughs> You know, I mean, Bungle was all over the map. There wasn't one, I, I wouldn't, you know, what kind of music does Mr. Bungle play? I would just say, <laughs> depends on their mood. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. Remember, and uh, um, uh, Mike would wear a mask the whole sh- the whole entire shows, and I would guarantee you a large percentage of the audience had no clue who he, who was even who on stage. Right. At all, you know? Yeah. So, so- it was weird. one of the weirdest things. I've ever been through the weirdest being the show we played with them in Anaheim in the round to about two, two or 3000 people. And that is one of the worst reactions we've ever gotten from an audience. We've had quite a few of those kinds of things. That was particularly <laughs> bad. Wow, and, in uh, the, the round bubble, yet. Okay. Yeah. So you're staring down the barrel of this hatred, no matter which way you look, round, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, you go over here now, now it's just and vicious, vicious. And then uh, uh, Bungle stuck up for us really good that night. But they uh, uh, just basically did a white noise set pretty much. Just create. And, and by the end of this show, lots of people were gone, but they never treated Bungle the way that they treated us by no means. You know, it was strange. Hey, what was your take on that, Trev? Well, I mean, yeah, we at Melvin's played with Bungle several times because we were fans and we wanted right, bands. Of course, yeah play with us that we liked you know and and um so we were i mean that show we were pissed off that they essentially got booed off the stage i don't even remember how you guys set ended but um, we booed we got booed until we left the stage (laughs) (laughs) we didn't leave the stage because of the (laughs) right right so yeah we oh no and we we had a whole set ready to go we had our set ready to go before that. And then once that happened, we're like, okay, fuck these people. They're going to, they're going to pay for this. And we actually ripped up our set and we used to, we had a lot of half of our set was cover songs anyway. So we decided that night we're only going to, you know, we started with some mayhem noise and then we played our slowest cover song, most obscure cover songs. And, um, they, they were, I mean, they were getting pissed off, but yeah, it wasn't, I don't know. They were still, they kept waiting for the punchline and we just never gave it. <laughs> it's, 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 it, was a, it was a drummer's birthday that night. Oh. Yeah, so, <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, he got up and ran. He might even have ran all the way out the building. <laughs> so he started saying happy birthday. It was like, he was gone. Gone. <laughs> you know? It was something like that. That's where I remember yeah. it. Yeah, I remember that. So that that's it. Like, end of the show. <laughs> so that's got to be annoying, Trevor. I mean, it's like you're you're obviously you having the Melvins on because you like the Melvins and you want your crowd to be able to experience them. You know, that's. I understand like the mindset that where you're just like, wow, screw these freaking people. Did you find that that was you had a relatively closed minded audience for a weird band then? I mean, overall, or was it just was that an isolated case just for the Melvins' sake? Well. um... Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, our first, that was before, I think, oh, that was towards the, was that 92? I think that was the end of yeah, our. two around in there. Yeah, I think that was the end of our first big U.S. tour. And, I mean, thanks to Faith No More and people knowing who we were, like, they already knew our music, you know. And um, so we definitely had this, <clears throat> I mean, again, it was our first tour. I think it it took a while for people to get 
use the fact that we were going to do whatever the hell we wanted, but that you weren't going to um, play Epic. <laughs> yeah. And also, also we were at that point, we were already kind of sick of the songs from our first record. Cause we'd already made a demo before that. So we started rearranging them in weird ways, you know, to the point where they're almost unrecognizable, you know, and, and, um, well, that second record, you also start off with that real kind of dirgy kind of like F you song too. Was that, that seemed like that mindset was percolating as, as, yeah, goes. yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to remember exactly what the mindset was at that point, but we just, essentially we just did what we wanted to and we were happy that anyone showed up. So, um, you guys are doing good though. You're doing really good. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like from the get go. And the thing that gets then, me is, is you would expect uh, people to be into Mr. Bungle to be a little more open-minded to different yeah, stuff. Yeah. I would think that anyway. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm a simpleton. I don't know. But. You would be very, very wrong. <laughs> wrong would be the word I'd use. I think our, I think our fans are kind of like, you know, they're like baseball card collectors or something. Like everything has to be perfect. You know, it can be obscure right. and hard to find, but it's got to be. They got to get the complete set and they got to, you know, they have to know everything about all the details. I mean, half, most of our fans know more about Mr. Bungle than I do. Yeah, but weirdly, though, let's trans- go forward to like the end of the 90s. Um, um, uh, Fanama starts. I'm playing. That's when I really, really get to be friends with Trevor. And, and Mr. Bungle is still playing shows at that point, you know, on their first go around. And. They that would have been by the California time period, right? If I yeah. remember correctly, yeah. yeah. Which I love that record. That's yeah. like that's my favorite one. That's that's badass. Yeah, cool. they they do that record and they're doing a tour and then they go on this tour, and I see them at the Palladium and this tour called the Snowcore Tour. Oh <laughs> right, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, guys were openly calling it the Mediocore Tour. <laughs> <laughs> we called it the Brocore Tour in my friend group, but yeah, I remember it. <laughs> And we also, we also call it uh, we also called it snorecore and uh, borecore. <laughs> and uh, the I'm audiences, the, the audiences there got really irate with you guys. <laughs> so you got a little bit of that yourselves. But the only good part about that was you were pissing off audiences, but you were making really decent money to, just to piss people off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which there's we, yeah, the we knew make a living. Yeah. Yeah, we knew we were out of place on that tour. Um, Who else played fact, that? It was it, it was really it was a very bizarre lineup. Like you guys stuck like a sore thumb. I remember that. It was um, Incubus, System of a Down, and this uh, metal band from Puerto Rico, I think, called Puya. Um, and I think I think the only reason we were asked is because I think some of the guys in the headliners were fans or something. And right. And, you know, it wasn't like our own tour. We could have done probably just as well on our own, but we decided, oh, what the hell, we'll do it. And we knew the crowd was going to hate us. We knew System of a Down's audience was going to hate us. So we we just initially decided, well, we might as well dress up like the village people then and talk about how, <laughs> how we're homosexuals. <laughs> just, just throw a little kerosene on the fire. You know, why not? Yeah. They could not have been more pro-homosexual on that tour. <laughs> Not homophobia at no homophobia whatsoever, <laughs> and um, uh, no one can accuse him of that. And uh, I went to that show at the Palladium. Mm-hmm. It was at the Palladium, I believe. And um, I 
do not remember that that was System of the Down, Incubus, or whatever that. I don't remember any of those bands at all. And I was at that show. <laughs> <laughs> so it really stuck out to you is what you're trying to say. Really, really. Huh? <laughs> so uh, all I remember, I remember mostly is Mike making a lot of jokes about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. Mostly. But you guys Whenever- got... You- you, you told me there was one night, I can't remember, Virginia Beach or somewhere, where you thought that was a, you, were, you guys were going to be killed. Yeah, that was, that was it's, to this day, it's one of my favorite bungle shows. It was, it was yeah, it was Virginia Beach, I think, um, or Myrtle Beach. Oh, um, great yeah. for baseball and, uh, and not much else. <laughs> yeah, um, we got into this impromptu jam in the middle of one of our songs. It's, it's kind of like a disco beat, and we just we kept riffing on it while Mike proceeded to um, teach the audience how to give a blowjob using the microphone. <laughs> it's informative. And, it's educational. Yeah, and man, the the audience; these guys were livid. Man, these guys were they would they would crowd surf up to the barrier, and they they'd stand in front of me like flipping me off. Just beads of hatred coming off their forehead you know and i thought and throwing coins at us and i thought man this is it i'm not i'm gonna be killed before i make it to the bus i, I thought you're gonna say that i thought yeah this is it showbiz baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah he made like four bucks and change that night it was great <laughs> so you you briefly talked about phantomus starting and I, I would like to talk about phantomus how did phantomus come about did mike uh, Buzz, Mike approached you and said, "Like, hey, I'm doing this thing." Or what, what was the the process yeah. for that band starting up? Well, Phantomos was completely Mike's deal. It's yeah. his music, um, played by us to the best of our abilities, trying to uh, you know satisfy whatever musical demons he had at that point with <laughs> right. that music. Um, we didn't write anything. None of us. Um, it's Which is different for you because you you tend to be a dude that like you have you have your thing you have your aesthetic you write the songs like it's it's a very different process yeah. right yeah but I wasn't afraid of it I, I figured I'd give it a shot but I was the only one me and Mike but Mike wrote all the music which is different I didn't read music so Trevor and Dave could read write down stuff I couldn't I just had to remember it and um, that was really when uh, Trevor and I really had our uh, started having more of a um, bonding type of friendship. And I think it was over trying to figure out how to play that fucking insane shit, basically. <laughs> so he just hand you like he's handing out like here's here's the music, like sheets of music, and then you're like uh. no sheets, no sheets, just uh, um, uh, demos and stuff like that. Okay, was it well, like yeah. cassettes or at that time or whatever, whatever yeah. it was. Okay. Yeah, I mean the other weird part about that. I mean it's super complicated music, and yeah, Mike right. doesn't Mike doesn't read music either, so he it was all done by ear you know he when he makes these demos he does it by ear and but you know it, it's it's still even though it's not written down it's still he's very super precise about it yeah and i'm, I'm even thinking I'm, sp- I'm thinking back to that first record especially it's just like the meter on it is you know strange like the song structure is bizarre like it's it's not like you're playing it's not like you're playing like straight four four rock and roll you know like it, there's some weird stuff going on so is it's it a- right in my 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 top of my ability to remember. Yeah, so so I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is it's you know people learn things different ways and people process things different ways. You know, was it were you used to that, uh, Trevor? Used to that because you've like bungle works in a similar manner. 
uh, or was that something that was new for that band for you? It, it was um, not really the way Bungle works um, because that's more of a collective thing and, you know, other people read music in that band too. But I, I, I think, I think what Mike was sort of doing was kind of almost treating it like a, like a jazz group or something where you mm. hire people that you don't really like a jazz. Combo. You know, think, yeah. 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 You get like the was, contract killer players on and then you just like do something cool. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think Zorn was a big influence on, on him. And all, or whatnot. Yeah. Well, probably more like naked city or, oh, naked or city. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> or actually the, the naked city record, um, torture garden, which is all, all kind of hard cut up, you know, cut and paste hardcore stuff. I think that's where he was coming from, but, but he was like Zorn can do that because he, you know, works with musicians who work that way. And all that stuff was written down, all that charted out the wazoo, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I think Pat was doing that, but without the, 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 the foundation of having, you know, that kind of, he never, he never had that kind of a band before. So, um, no. so it was a new, experience for all of us really that was it was crazy um one of the craziest things i've ever been involved with i would say it was very strange um uh we always work like we don't have trevor's worked with us a bunch and we don't have any kind of set idea basically we do it to some degree but it's it's very very elastic (laughs) well it it almost seems like it's suited like you want the player to bring what they bring to it right i mean we've talked about that in the past and I think that's, that's what the I, key aesthetic. Yeah, I hope for that to happen, you know. And uh, it doesn't bother me when it happens because I feel like I haven't thought of everything. You know? Right. And um, and I also feel like um, I play guitar, and uh, in, the, in, the, in that area, I would be that would be my area of expertise. But when it comes to drums and bass, I don't. I'm not an expert in those. I'd rather let the expert show me what the better way to do my idea is. Uh, that's the way the Melvins work. You know, I, I prefer that. I'm not precious with the arrangements. I'm not precious with how it's played. Um, more like uh, the way Miles Davis did a lot of yeah. that stuff. Like, you, way you, more like You let everyone uh, bring their strengths to the table and let that be part of the overall experience and the overall composition. Kind of. You know, we would just say, you know, play them like this or make them better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, no? so on that, uh, had either of you guys played with Dave Lombardo before? No. Nope. So no. that guy's we, pretty we good. Drove, you know, Arno, we, we drove him crazy. Me and Trevor would <laughs> really. How so? Oh my god, we would sit there and and and, and just repeat Slayer lyrics over and over and over <laughs> and over. <laughs> you guys are fucked up, man. That's I can't fucking believe this. You guys are fucked up. <laughs> How long can you last in this frozen water burial? <laughs> Over and over, you just had it. You know, fuck, man, I'm sick of it, <laughs> dude. You're on the greatest speed metal record of yeah, all it's time. An amazing, it's an amazing record, and it's like it's somehow cartoonish and totally awesome at the same time. And that's a that's a hard line to to walk. So yeah, you that's know. the peak. It's the peak of, of the speed metal, and yeah. it was almost like never got he better. wasn't aware of it. He wasn't aware that that was the peak. Almost like it bothered him. Really. <laughs> It was more of an irritation than anything else. 
<laughs> so, but I mean, like that—that that, is that something where when he when he came in, he brought what he brought to it. Like, was he coming at it from a similar place as you guys, or was that was there some adjustment period? For Fatamas, well, we were yeah. in a constant period right till the last day of the band, pretty much. <laughs> it was the, the rehearsals for that band were some of the most intense rehearsals I've ever had for anything in yeah. really? in my in my entire career. Yeah, we were for that first show. I did we we did a show before we recorded the record, right? Oh yeah, yeah, we did more than one show. We did a whole tour of the West Coast without without any record. Was that the uh, one with, right. uh, in Amoeba? There was one with the SF Amoeba. Uh, or is that later on? I don't know. I don't even remember playing that. Well, I remember. I saw it. I saw it with my friend, my bandmate, and I, kind of, I. I turned to him and said, "I bet these guys practice a lot." And he he busted up laughing because it's hyper complicated music. We get to the end of a tour and we'd have everything down, and then it would be over. <laughs> the tour Just would be over. <laughs> if we had three more weeks to play, we could be playing this stuff without even thinking about it. Right. <laughs> I mean, so, didn't you think, Trevor? Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And the other thing is that Mike liked to change the set every night. So, you know, we every every single night we'd have to relearn the order of things or or play a song that we didn't play for the past three days. You know, so right. we'd have to rehearse the sound check. I mean, it was it was completely scattered. Did he want it? Did did he want that kind of like I don't know Fugazi or Grateful Dead thing of just like having being able to call in anything at any moment in time was that like the mindset behind it or was it just like he trying to keep himself engaged like i think why? i think it was more of the latter it was more like keep himself engaged yeah we never do that we always have we work out the set list that we want to play for the whole tour with a few minor adjustments as the tour starts at in the rehearsal place yeah because i want it's more like what zappa he went zappa said which is he wants everybody to know what's going on every moment they're on on the stage you can play it they backwards and forwards. You know every piece of it. You know yeah. the transitions. You know the there's there's. Yeah. They, it's all important to me. It's like it's more like a Broadway show. Like the Broadway show. Yeah. If you go to Broadway show, mix up the set list. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, let's uh, <laughs> let's do waiting for Godot tonight. Yep. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> let's change it tonight. The endings at the beginning, and you know we're gonna <laughs> skip this song. It doesn't. Happen. It's more what? like I mean. A performance. If we're playing an hour, it's like the, it's an hour performance art music thing. Right. That's more like what we're doing. You know. You know, like which is I would, which I I mean I remember Bungle was the same way. We used to change shit every night, you know. And uh, but I remembered that the 2012 tour I did with the, with Melvin's Light. Um, it was one of the first times I'd ever really done that. We're playing the same set for seven weeks. You know. Yeah. But it got to the point where I didn't wasn't looking at my set list anymore. You know, I mean, right? You just know and, it. You automatically know it, right? And I and and so you know it so well that you can start to mess with it a little bit. You know, yeah. and you develop this trust in the band. You know where you're going to land. You know, and um, I mean, we were slain by the end of that tour. Just, oh my god! Yeah, we could. Yeah, if you, if we could have done more. And you get, yeah, you get to another level. It's of comfort of playing without thinking about it. It's almost like it's the way it should be. You know, you're right. taking it out of your head. It's not in your head anymore. Yeah. It's somewhere. And, and I love that. I love that. You know, we try to get to that point as much as we can before we even start a tour a lot of times, you know, but that was never the way it was with Phantomas. Phantomas never did more than about two or three weeks of touring at a time ever. We went to Europe a bunch. We went to Australia. What did we go to Australia? Four times or three times, something like that. Yeah. 
and the last time we went was uh, we did a Melvin's Vanamas Tomahawk tour. That's in, right, uh, yeah. Uh, and it went over huge everywhere we went. I think in Sydney we played to 5,000 people. And they just never did it again. I was like, this seems like an obvious no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. It's really- <laughs> nope. No need. Nope, no, that, that, that seems like a terrible idea. But bunch of shared <laughs> bands, everyone, uh, shared members, everyone likes each other's music. It works thematically. Yep. Like, everyone gets Same along. Yeah, no problems. Nah, we don't need to do this. <laughs> Well, so you brought up an important point, and and I I do I actually do want to get to the Melvin's Light stuff, and we will. But I wanted to talk about uh, the 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 Melvin's Fantomas Big Band. What a neat project that was, and what I bet that was uh, you know a bit of a challenge, but also it had to be kind of fun to like put that together and like put all the pieces to figure out where everything goes. What I mean, what was the whole experience with putting that together? I can't remember exactly why we did it, but um, and I've never talked to either you or Dale about this, and that's very weird to me. But yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun because we were able to pick out stuff that uh, um, I thought would sound really cool with with the, with the whole band. And there was a couple of things in the in there that I don't think Lombardo ever completely got his head around mm. of our stuff. You could get the Phantom of my stuff. There's a couple things that, with our stuff that he just could never get. He just never could hear it the right way you know the turnarounds were wrong some like the bit he could never get how we start that song where that's deceptively at. tricky song so it makes sense yeah yeah he could just never he could never get it just never get it and uh, uh but Patton did a really good job on that yeah we, we got a live album out of it that was really fun and uh um that was fun to mix all that stuff up it would be it's a great big a great big band like that you know I, for some reason, I seem to remember originally it was just going to be like a one-off or something, and I can't. Maybe it was for a New Year's Eve show. I can't was remember. Was it but. Slims? What was it? Where was it at? Or was it? We played in LA first. That's right. It was I LA think. first, and then you brought it up. To, yeah, okay, that's right. Because I, I saw it. It was great. It was freaking awesome. I, I yeah, loved it. Great. It was really fun, you know. But uh, that, that we, me and Trevor bonded really nicely during that whole time. Uh, he would help me out a whole lot with stuff I was having being confused about with Fanama stuff. And eventually we got to the point where I was like, we should play, we should have Trevor playing with us, you know, and uh, which, which morphed into uh, the Melvin's light, which, which um, we got the idea to do something like that. And then I set up a bunch of shows around California, weird little places like Fresno. And I can't remember where else we played San Luis Obispo and played on tiny equipment. And it was during that tour that I was like, with this lineup, we could do something crazy, like every state plus DC. Right. You know? And th- th- did you look that up to see, you know, has anyone done that? You know, like, was that, did you know? I, I knew that George Thurgood guys had tried to do it. Now they say that they did do it, but yeah. I remember at the time, they didn't do it. They, they, you know, I remember when they were doing that tour, they quit after like 30 some shows, you know, but of course they, they deny that, but whatever. I, I, I mean, that was that was good because they got all hacked off when we were saying, "Nope, we're the first ones to do it." They didn't do it. And then they actually responded. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> you don't have enough to do. You're going to bother yeah, with yeah. what we're. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not busy enough that you have the time to deal with this. <laughs> Add to the bone. Nothing would touch you. <laughs> no way. <laughs> or what was the joke? He's ma 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 mad. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that's uh, like, so, hey, we're gonna push this to the absolute limit. Yeah, why Listen, wouldn't you? Man, right back and forth, right back and forth. 
<laughs> it was pretty funny. But uh, then I asked these guys about it, and Trevor, I don't remember what your exact reaction when I brought it up. I was on that tour. I brought it up to you, and you were like, huh? Huh? You want to do what? <laughs> and then I called the next day. It was in Fresno. I remember it before we played Fresno. I called our booking agent, and he was like, you're out of your mind. That's just, just crazy. You're just, just, that's just never are – you, are you insane? Yeah, nobody does that like, for a good reason, yeah. <laughs> I want to do it. I want to do it. And then the next day, I got a call back from him. Actually, it was that day I got a call back. He was up been talking around the office. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a really good thing to do. Let's do it. And so I go, okay, let's do it. And so then I, I talk to these guys, and I go, look, the, book, the booking agent thinks it's a great idea, and we can do it. And then – I got you guys to commit to it, and and it was more than a year out before the tour started, you know, because I realized really quickly that if we didn't book the exact dates we wanted, it's going to screw up the routing. Yeah, which is, that, has to be perfect. Well, also, it, that, right, routing has to be perfect, but then the promoters can't know what we're doing because they'll have us over a barrel. Oh, you know? good point. Yeah, they can so they can like undersell you or yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, you can't get out of it. You know, you uh, so we don't have to pay you shit. You know, you oh oh the show in in Minneapolis or wherever. You know, mm, I don't know, maybe not. You know, or wherever. You know, so yeah. I was like, we got to book it before anybody has any idea what we're doing. So we had that thing completely confirmed and booked over a year out. You know. Like confirm shows, sign contracts of works before we ever said what. And these promoters, then we weren't trying to screw them over. We also just didn't want to tip, you know, what we were doing. And 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 so then by the time we announced it, we already had contracts, signed contracts in hand, done. Whole tour was done a year, and so that gave us enough time to really plan out what we wanted to do and do a whole and record a whole album for the tour. And that was really when Trevor became a big part of the band. Was, was with that, you know. So, Trevor, what's going How on with you, you during, during with all this? Like, when this is when he's when he first brings it up to you, and you're like, "Wait, what? What do you? What are we doing? Like, what? <laughs> what is this?" Yeah, like? well, I, I, I think I might have said something similar to this when for that uh, Melvin's documentary. But uh, I remember Buzz came to me with the idea. You know, he's like, "Hey, I got this idea for you know all fifty states plus DC," and and I was just kind of like. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if that's going to happen or whatever. And then, and then the next day he's like, then the next day he's like, it's on. It's, they're starting to book it already. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's how it always works with us. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, hell yeah. I'm always up for a challenge and you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, the idea of it is a lot scarier than it actually was, you know, I yeah. mean the, the very, the first, like, third or fourth of the tour, you know, or, you know, going from the West coast to the Midwest, that was, that was a little difficult, but partly because we're just starting and also because the drives were longer, but yeah. man, once we got to the East coast, it was a piece of cake. Right. <laughs> we would stay we were in some spots of the East coast. We stayed in the same hotel four nights. Yeah. Cause everything's so, you know, East Coast bands—they just—it's—they they, they have it easier, and nobody wants to hear that. That's from an East Coast band, but it's just closer. Things are closer there. It's—I'm sorry, I get it, traffic yeah. tolls, etc. But it's closer. Stop complaining. Yeah, like up in the Northeast, we stayed in the same hotel. Okay, tonight we play Portland. Now we play Dover. Now we play <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> back though, and we didn't have much gear. We didn't have much gear because you're playing so. on smaller equipment too, and that's oh, kind yeah. of like the ethos of the tour, right? So. Yeah, 
yeah, and and we had an album to go along with it, and uh, it was it was it was really one of the coolest things we've ever done, as far as like a stunt, you know. <laughs> yeah, because there's a couple things happening at once. So so Trevor, when there's and there's material that goes with this, uh, with the idea of doing like the more kind of like stripped down, kind of different sort of set. Like, was that something that was intriguing to you? Were you like, oh, sure, if that's what you want to do? Like, what, where was your mind at for being, you know, you, Melvins are an iconic band, and they're sort of defined by, like, a big sound. And then also, yeah. you've you've played some of these songs, like, in the big band environment, but this is a different si- situation, right? So where were yeah, your Yeah, definitely. At? I mean, when Buzz first came to me with the idea of playing Upright in a version of the Melvins, I, you know, I thought, wow, yeah. I mean, certainly, I'm, without hesitation, like, yeah, I'm down, but... I had no idea what it was going to sound like really, you know, and, um, you know, it ended up not being as, as light as the name suggests, you know, <laughs> it's right. so pretty intense and, and it's loud, as, you know, it's um, as light as some light sodas as they claim to be. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Diet. Um, so, uh, and stand up bass isn't necessarily the most accepted and highly valued instrument in quote unquote heavy music too, necessarily. That that's true. Um, although like it actually ends up having a lot more low end than electric. Bass. I mean, I think the and, record's great. I think it sounds awesome, but I'm talking about from, from a perception standpoint, uh, for the audience that maybe are, yeah. are used to seeing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I, w- I have to say I'm super surprised and also proud when, you know, kids would come up to me after the show and they're like, wow, I didn't even know you could do that on a bass, you know, cause I was doing all kinds of weird extended yeah, yeah. techniques stuff and um so you know open some people's minds up to something different you know and i mean i've never done i've played upright in a lot of weird bands but nothing like that you know um yeah and and i remember we did uh before that tour we did kind of a we did another practice run where we toured across canada for like 10 days or something and um that's when we really you know, that's when I figured out, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going through bow hair, like crazy. I'm going to have to bring three bows on this tour because I'm breaking so much bow hair, you know? And, and then I, on tour, I'd have to stop and get one rehaired, you know, because you're, I was playing so hard that I'm just like breaking the stuff. And you ever been in Regina and tried to get your bow rehaired? It's a rough business. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of fun. Yeah. But uh, we we really wanted uh, we really wanted people to you know, we weren't trying to hide behind the bass and we would start every show with him by himself. You right. go out there, you go out and start. You know, it was to show that we're not kidding around with this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> not, not a prop. He's going to go out there and and he would start with this stuff that I'm not, I've said it before, but it sounded to me like an oil tanker hitting a coral reef. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, because it, it's it's not like it isn't intense. Like there's a there's a distinct oh my intensity God. to it's it. Yeah. Just brutal, and he figured out a way to make the bass work. It wasn't massive amounts of feedback. It was fine, totally fine. We did European shows like that too, and um, hopefully at some point down the line we'll do a new album. We got to, we got a few songs started. We haven't got it. I would really love to do another album like that. You know, and did that give you an opportunity to sort of? think about the overall presentation and like maybe some things you wanted to do that were, uh, that wouldn't have come across the same way, uh, with, with the different instrumentation. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was happy to let him uh, go as crazy as he wanted to on it. And then, you know, with the songs that we were doing and especially the songs we wrote, I figured he was smart enough to figure out what would, would and wouldn't work on the bass. Just left it up to him. 
I mean, you know, there's a few arrangement things that we'll go over, or, or there might be a few parts in the songs that he doesn't quite understand. But that's the way it is with all of our bass players, and I'll show it to him. And then, like with Steven, the guy we're playing with now, Steve McDonald, and with Trevor Bose, they've both played with lots of different people. Like Steven's played with, you know, Sparks and uh, Beck and all these yep. people. And when I, when I tell him, just like I told Trevor, no, 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 you do it the way you want to do it. They just right. stare at you like. <laughs> well, it's 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 a it's an infrequent yeah. ask, you know. Most like, oh, play it like this, you know. Play play it, you know. Play it like this person. Like, no, I want you to play yeah. like you. A... <laughs> I want you to play like you. I want you to own this stuff. I really want you to. I'll, I'll feel more comfortable if you're owning it, and you. I, I think I'll get a better performance. Just like with the new album, Give to Sacrifice. I knew if I told Trevor to overplay on everything. <laughs> that he actually wouldn't overplay and that it would, it would get the normal amount of playing, right? <laughs> it, would, it would free him up to feel like he could do whatever he wanted. You know? So overplay, overplay. And, you know, knowing that he would actually make the right choice, he's not going to intentionally overplay. He's just going to make him feel like I can, I'm free to do my thing on these songs. I don't yeah, think I get any direction at all. As, as someone who also writes music, you know, obviously I'm not going to be like, Oh yes, I can, Buzz says I can do whatever I want, so I'm going to make this a bass right. album or something. Right. Like, no, I'm going to think about it compositionally. What does this song need? You know, yeah. like how can I make it different from the last song, or how can I, you know, you know, what I don't know, either feature myself or have the guitar part more prominent or whatever. Right, you know? and and with the with this album, I mean, there's some stuff you're doing. There's some really cool counterpoint. Uh, kind of stuff like weird little polyrhythms and things along those lines, like real, uh, and some of it's kind of subtle, but some of it is sort of like, oh, that could almost be a song in and of itself. But like the way it interweaves with everything, it's clear there's some thought behind it. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Which is I mean, good. <laughs> I mean, you know, in a in a situation like this, the last thing I want to do is just copy the guitar part. You know, yeah, and, yeah. You're not like, playing the root note. D D D D. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe one song that could be, you know, could be cool or necessary or yeah, something. Yeah, there's but. a time and a place for it, but when when you're doing like something like this where it's it is the the sparseness of it is is kind of the appeal, then you you want to yeah. ride that line to if you're overplaying it better be something really cool and it, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got he's got good instincts about what musically how things work, and I knew that from the experience I've had with him before, so I was just, you know, on every level was prepared to make my record. I was going to be acoustic with, uh, with, uh, um, modular scent stuff. And it was essentially almost done when, uh, Trevor came asking him, you know, we should do a tour together. I'm going to do that. I got this record coming out. We should do a tour together. Um, I'd love to have you come out and, uh, uh, open on a solo acoustic bass and then I'll come out and play. Maybe we can play a couple songs together. That'd be fun. You know? And, uh, Maybe we could record an EP, a tour EP before, and have something that we could sell on the tour. And he's like, great. So he came out to California, and I go, well, maybe you should play on one of these songs, and uh, um, we can just put that on the EP. It'll be different than it is on the record. And once I heard it, <laughs> right. I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is what I want to do. You know, this is, I'm, you know, I, the accidentalist in me was not stupid enough to let that, that, that thing go by, you know. No way. And so then it turned into, that's why it's a King Buzzo with Trevor Dunn record. Trevor, as yeah. Opposed to, yeah. Because I really, really would really, especially with the way this one came out, I would really like to do a record of me, me and him do a record together. 
where we write all the all the stuff. right and, and all that. Yes, because Trevor's a good singer as well, and you get a lot more of that kind of thing in there. Right, so, you know, I, I just would really think that would be that would be really cool. And then since this COVID thing's fucked up our touring plans and everything, maybe maybe we could do another record instead of trying to tour this one again. Just make a new record and uh, tour both of them at some point down the line. I think that would be great because I think we're really onto something. And then we'll add drums, and then we'll. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Scope creep is what they call that, right? But at the but I like the idea of both of us playing by ourselves up there. You know, I think it, that'd be really good. And even on the tour that we were going to do, it got canceled. Trevor was still going to do open the shows with stand up solo acoustic bass, right? And then we, I don't know how exactly we were going to do it, but we would. I think we were going to meld it together. You play for a while, then I come out and play, and you know. Uh, but I was really looking forward to it. And then we, 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 we could also have played a bunch of stuff off the Melvin's Freak uh, uh, Puke record and Melvin songs. And, it's, you know, there's no end to it. I mean, I don't, I don't think. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. But what a bummer. That would have been so much yeah. fun. I was yeah, really, yeah. really, really looking Because we worked on this thing. He recorded that in March or February of 2019. Yeah, and it was originally coming out in, like, May, I think, if I remember right. Uh, May of- it was uh, well over a Which year before. Like, a year I, <laughs> yeah, it's still like a year wait. <laughs> and then, like, well, when did you start get the sacrifice? I go, well, I started recording this four years ago. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have our own studio. You've been in the studio. We have our own place. Of course. So it's, it's uh, 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 easy to work there. Tosh is really great. We have so much stuff that's not done. We have stuff, Melvin's light stuff that we recorded with Trevor years ago that we haven't finished, you know? Which we will eventually, but uh, um, I always said this, and, I, and uh, um, I, I really mean it. The best thing I got out of Phantomos was my relationship with him, you know, by far, you know, because I really he's one. He's become a really good friend, and I trust him. And I know if I ever really needed anything, he would be there. And I don't have a lot of people like that in my life, and I really appreciate it. You know, so thanks a lot, Trev. That's really good. Yeah. You never know yeah. what you're going to find out there in the world. And when you come across that kind of thing, you can't let it go. Don't take it for granted. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's 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 very sweet and also very accurate as well. So, yeah. so, so Trevor, coming from a from a musicality perspective, like, what did you, what what was your take with this record when you're coming into it with these songs? Uh, like, what's your approach? Like, what what's in your mind when you're coming up with stuff? Uh, well, a lot of times, like with this record in particular, it was, um, it was pretty off the cuff for me. Like it wasn't, you know, I don't think Buzz sent me any tracks or something or anything. No, no. I said yeah, nothing. I would show up at the studio and listen to the, listen to, uh, the track a few times and then just try and decide what I should do. And then, and you know, try a few things out. And then, you know, Toshi is, you know, engineering. So I'd be like, Hey, let me try this. You know, I might just record a part of a song or I might have the whole thing mapped out. It was different every time. And then, and then we go to the next song. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to do something different. Maybe this next one I'll use the bow, you know, and, um, or whatever. Every song I was just trying to do something a little bit different, but, um, basically just playing along and, being pretty impromptu about it. Like I would play along until just kind of noodle around until I found something that I liked and, and then try and stick with a pattern, you know, whether it, and also not like overthink it, you know, which is something I have a tendency to do when I write Get my too own far music. in your own head or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I would just be like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. I like this. Let's try this record it and be like, Oh yeah, it totally works. You know? I mean, I think there is, there is uh 
you can beat the life out of something. Yeah. You can you can you can beat just beat it to death until there's nothing left. Yeah. You know, and then she'll spark. And we found that in the last, you know, ten or fifteen years, sometimes with the drums, sometimes with the bass, or like with this, you know, you get something different than you would get by rehearsing it for four weeks. You know? Just these guys are playing at the edge of their ability and you get this life more lively, not always, but more lively sounding performance. It doesn't always work, but when it does work, <laughs> it's really good. You know? Yeah. It, you almost, it almost, even if it's not true, it almost feels more extemporaneous or uh, light. Uh, <laughs> yeah. L I T E in that way, just because of the, the, the newness to it. Like it hasn't been, it hasn't been drilled to death. Right. You know, so it's no, it has, it has, you can be, you can, yeah, you can, you can beat it to death. That's completely possible. And then you end up with the uh, uh, with the uh, Phantom Menace, which is uh, not <laughs> worth the wait. <laughs> Nobody wants to make the Phantom Menace of records, definitely. <laughs> not worth. The- <laughs> Although I like the Phantom Menace, but <laughs> not, nothing, nothing to no one. Yeah. Uh, well, so so Trevor, think about in terms of uh, you know this record and doing the Melvin's Light stuff. How do you how does that compare with doing something with the your trio convulsant stuff, which is you know obviously coming from a you know musically. It's not. It's the same neighborhood in some ways, but like very different in others. Yeah, um, I mean, my my idea for that trio came when I lived in San Francisco, and I wanted to, you know, I was playing jazz and I was also playing rock, and I I kind of felt like a lot of the modern jazz at the time wasn't heavy enough, and a lot of the rock stuff wasn't like harmonically in- right. interesting enough, you know, and and um, and I wanted to do something with upright and and with like power chords, you know, and, and, um, and, and, but I mean, the approach to that is I write everything for it. And I, you know, I, I sit down and I write it all out on paper. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of room for improv in that too. And it, it, it features guitar, you know, the guitarist, Mary Harry's a badass. Chess is a, is a freaking badass. I mean, they're, you're with with good players. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's there's parts of it that are that I'm super particular about, but then there are other parts where I'm be, be like it's totally wide open and anything can happen. So um, it's you know it, it's one of the few uh, bands where I'm actually the leader and I have to I have to be on top of it and explain what I want or you know or what I don't want or whatever. Yeah, and I guess what I'm getting at is, is being you know the captain of that ship. You know, most of the things you're associated with it's either as a sideman or as a you know contributing member or something along those lines it's it's a different mindset and it's a different it's a different place totally coming from it's, it's way more of a pain in the ass to be a band leader <laughs> i mean i you know i'm I, as a bass player i you know i'm i've been in a side you know a sideman or whatever for countless bands so that that's like a muscle that i is very familiar to me you know to flex and the, and um like like personality wise i fit into that really well but being a band leader and having to be like assertive is you know and and make decisions is not necessarily my forte and it which is another reason i do it because it's it challenges me in that way it's a different skill set right and it's it's something yeah. where and you've you've played with a lot of really amazing folks you know i was even just uh reminded earlier uh, that great Nels Klein singers record that you're on. Like I'm a big Nels Klein oh, yeah. fan. Uh, to this day, I'm not even sure if I've heard any of his stuff where he's playing with Wilco. But I love all the <laughs> the Nels Klein singers, like the the crazy freak out, like jazzy kind of noisy rock yeah. stuff. Like that's that's my yeah. jam right there. 
Yeah, right on. Yeah, he's he's an incredible guitar player. So that's it, actually where I saw Trevor play stand up bass with, with him with Nels Klein. When I saw that. That's, it's not the first time I saw him, but that's where I got the idea that he could play with us. Okay. with Nels Klein in L.A. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so when you're talking about uh, you know playing with all these different guitar players, they're different. They're different styles. Uh, every player has their own. Uh, thing their their own signature whatever what are the things that you associate with buzz and coming at it from the perspective of having listened to the music you know beforehand like uh, when you, before you ever played with them versus playing with them now like what what are what are the things you associate with buzz trevor well you know it's funny i was a i was way into the melvins in the 90s and used to go see them all the time in san francisco saw them a bunch of times covered wagon yep slims the uh the oasis uh, all kinds of these tiny little venues you know and i i just remember thinking man this is one of the most musical rock bands i've ever seen you know i have no idea what's going to happen i you know i was i mean talk about pissing their audience off you know like <laughs> i remember seeing buzz once started a song there's a song i think it's from um bullhead where he's like playing a um uh, like a it's, song starts with a one note nah, 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 yeah. and like Buzz did that for like 10 minutes or something before the rest of the band kicked in. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I remember when I, when I met Buzz in, you know, at the first rehearsal in Phantomos and he, he told me that he didn't read music. I couldn't believe it. Cause I mean, that record Ozma is completely bonkers, you know? Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. So, that surprised me and it gave me a whole nother perspective, you know, on, on, on a certain, on an approach to music, you know, and the way buzz does things. It's, it's totally different than someone like the way Zorn works or, or even Nels, you know, some, you know, he's, he's really, it's almost like, I want to call it like outsider art, you know, it's mm -hmm. like he's, he's self-taught, he's doing things his own way. That's why, that's why it's weird and unique, you know? Um, it's it's not following any um uh protocol really you know um so or or any um what's the word there's no grid there you know so um that you know kind of what buzz was talking about before like being outside of your head it's it's totally in that realm which is super important you know um and you know being someone who studied music you know i was sort of brain in a certain way to go the other way to be more like heady about it you know right right and now I, now I feel like i can balance the two or something um but uh yeah so buzz same question over to you for for trevor you've played with a lot of different bass players uh what what are the what are the key things that you think of when you think of trevor and what he does and how he plays versus uh versus other folks well i knew i, I knew from the beginning he'd be able to get what we were doing the only thing I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to do was be uh, um, as noisy, weird as we would like. And I think that once hmm. that he kind of understood that a little more, and that we, we were we were more of a uh, like throbbing gristle playing heavy metal type of thing, um, that, that that he kind of understood it a little better as far as that's concerned. Uh, but I, I didn't need to worry about that too much. I mean, Trevor, there's not really anything I can throw at him that he couldn't do as weird as the stuff that we do is, there's nothing that he can't eventually figure out, you know, whatever it is. Um, I've never, never, ever been concerned with that. Um, 
and uh, uh, the idea that he plays stand-up bass and that not just plays stand-up bass, but is a good stand-up bass player as far as I'm <laughs> Right, which is key, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other element to what we do and that I'm not afraid of at all. At all. I mean, I feel like we could do whatever we want. We can play with these guys that are good. We can play with Steven. We can play with him. Either way, uh, we can play with Jeff Pankus. All of them contribute something in a different way to what we're doing, and it's all equally important. But Trevor kind of has the standard bass and the electric bass, and we've used him in both those capacities um, numerous times. And uh, uh, it's just a really good position to be in that I haven't alienated all these people to the point where they won't work with me. (laughs) I can get get them to do crazy stuff and they're, they're on board with it. All of my wacky ideas, whatever they may be. And, and, uh, um, and it always works out. We always, everybody always makes a little bit of scratch and we do okay with it. So it's all, it's always ends up being okay. So, the other, um, uh, the other the other thing I would add to about working with Buzz is that when he says he's going to do something, he does it, you know, and and <clears throat> which is super comforting, you know, like it's like you know I, I don't have to worry that this is going to fall through for some crazy reason, you know, unless it's completely out of his hands. It's big talk yeah, yeah, backed yeah. by big action, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, plus we get to play with Dale too, and Dale's super easy to play with. Um, uh, that's great. That just makes everything easier. I mean. Yeah. Uh, I write a song and I have uh, De- uh, Trevor or Steven and Dale playing on it. I mean, I really don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so, and I guess where I'm going at it and, and Buzz, last time you were on, we talked a bit about the songwriting process and a lot of folks got a lot of value out of that. Where do you, how do you sort through the songs? Like, how do you sort through like what goes where? Well, I have massive amounts of stuff. I mean, I could literally never write another single riff and still have tons of, material left to do whatever I wanted with um, um, a lot of stuff that people think is new isn't new it's been around for a long time right we uh, talked about that the fact that you've had some stuff that's just like oh I really like that new song you're like thanks and then you're like yeah I wrote that 15 years ago <laughs> I wrote it it's never made it on a record it's new to you yeah exactly uh, but uh, um, um, I just sift through and listen to if I need you know I I need something or I need, you know, like right now we're working on a new Melvin's uh, uh, 1983 record and I'm finishing that. And um, for some of that, we realized that the drummer needed to come down again and uh, we needed to uh, uh, record a couple couple more songs. We didn't have enough stuff. And so uh, I just go, okay, I just go to the catalog and like I have to find something that would work with him. He's not. He's not a drummer that can do like a lot of outside four four stuff. Yeah, it's a di- very it's different a- style than than Dale. That's for sure. Yeah, go through and find stuff that he can play, and, and, and so I just go through and that one's good. That one's gonna that won't really work. That's got a weird hiccup in it that, that's not gonna fly. <laughs> right. Well, well, well you want to set someone up for success, right? You don't want you want to set someone up for like, hey, yeah. this is like you know, you know. Point, I, I love the drumming of Phil Rudd, but if you throw him a King Crimson song, he's not gonna probably be able to do it, right? <laughs> He could probably do it, but we don't have time. Why would we want him to? (laughs) I don't have time to sit there. We can't rehearse it. We've got to give him something that's doable in that amount of time. And he's not, he's not a drummer by trade. Yeah. You know, so, so if we're going to do this, I have to be realistic about it. Uh, And so then my job is to take something that's easier than what we would normally do and make it good. How do I do that? That's a, that's a challenge in and of itself. It's not exactly how I would normally do it. 
but I have to, I have to please myself and still make it something he can do. And so I just go, you know, go through and find a couple of things that we had and we, we came down and we recorded them. I was sent, sent the ideas to him and he came down and we recorded them in a couple of days. And that's, that's kind of how that works. Now, if I was going to go, you know, I'm going to start working on a Melvin's record. Then what I'll do is I'll start going through all my riffs and listen to them. Okay. That's an A column. That's an A column, A column, A column. Eh, this one. Maybe this was good. You know, A column, A column. Okay. Let's go see what I can do with that. And then I'll take some of that. If it has two or three parts to it, then I'll work on that by myself and then bring it in and show it to Dale. And then we'll start branching it out a little bit, you know? So is this written Dale's- down or is this like something that you just have in your head? I'll bring it in. Now I'll bring it in on my phone. I'll just record sure. the yeah. riff. I'll bring it in and listen to it, and then I'll play it, and I'll, I'll get to rehearsal early, so I have the riff down, and then I'll play it for him, and then um, then uh, we'll take it from there. A lot of times with uh, Trevor, he, he's we would have stuff that was done before he got there, you know, and then we'd have some stuff that he wrote or, or that we would write together, you know. But a lot of that comes out of riff. So I've got a riff. Trevor will be like, I've got a riff now. How, how he came up with it is probably relatively similar, you know, like stuff that he came up with on his own at home. Sure. Yeah. And then try to make it work with within the framework of what we're doing. There's certain things that, what do you think will work? Well, I think this would work. You know what? And then sometimes I'll get to a, a, a point in the album and go, what kind of song do I need now? What do I need? Ah, so that's a, you know? that's a very important thing to mention too, because there is certain types of songs, right? And certain songs serve certain purposes uh, within a live set or within the context of a record. So I view making an album much much the same way that a guy would a director would make a, a movie. It's like the record has to has to. There's a reason why every song's in this place that it is. There's a, a certain flow and meter to the whole entire album for me to like it. Um, uh, um, I prefer it that way. You know, yeah. where, there's got to be a you have to give it shape and a flow. Yeah, like it's almost like you, you there's <laughs> there's a, yeah you mentioned direction buzz like it's almost like like a there's a story that's being told, right? There's certain points yep. you want to hit plot points. Yes. What's, what's a good, it's <laughs> a good song to start this record with. What do we need? What, you know, what, what where do we, you know, and I'm doing that right now with the Melvin's 1983 and I'm a list maker. So I'll sit there and like list, list, list and make playlists and listen to it. Listen to the record with that. And that even the rough mix is in that order. Listen to all that. And I do this incessantly. I do it over and over. It's just like with the tour. Like we did the 5151 tour. I mapped out that tour 30 times, you know? Yeah. Now we go here, go there. Now we go before the booking agent. And then I'll send that to the booking agent. You know, <laughs> this is what one, we're really one thing that, uh, one thing that continues to blow my mind with buzz sometimes is that he'll, uh, I'll, I'll call him up and back. Like, hey, or, you know, are the tour dates confirmed and he'll just start reeling them off the top of his head. <laughs> yeah. He's going to, you know, he's naming the city yeah, and the yeah. state and the venue, you know, and I'm like, wait, slow down. I can't write this down fast. You know, it's like, Jesus. <laughs> I, 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 live, I live that stuff. I, I love that stuff. I love, I love every aspect of figuring out how, and that includes what I'm telling you. This is days off everything. Yeah. How, how long the drive is, where we're going to stay, all that. The is logistics, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, out exactly what that's not reasonable because we need to do this and then we'll have to drive on this freeway and then blah 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 blah. i love that stuff i love it <laughs> i love mapping out how a record works there's nothing more satisfying to me than sitting at the mastering place and or listening to a mastered record and realizing that you've made the right choice song wise or looking at a tour that's done and be halfway through it and realize you haven't made any massive mistakes <laughs> there's no more right oh you know 
this is the right way to do this. And I knew we were going to be tired at this point and we need this, we need that. I just love that stuff. I like love it. Knowing the natural rhythms and having that being built into the thing. Uh, yes. We're, okay. we're going to have done a long drive. We're going to play. We just played like eight shows in a row. That's got that. We've got to have a day off right here. There's just no way, yeah. you know, we're going to have a long and just stuff like that. I, I love thinking about all that. And I'll, I'll map out a tour. Like I said, you know, 30 times, 20 times before I ever, we ever, it ever even gets confirmed. And I'll go through all that step by step with the booking agent just, and call them all the, you know, just every single thing. Why are we doing this? Where, where, why, how, where, you know, I, I just love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I got two things I want to follow up on that, but first Trevor, how, how does your process uh, when, when you're writing uh, either differ or is similar to, how buzz is like, how do you, when you come up with something, you know, do you, do you write it down? Do you like record a voice memo? Like, how do you know what goes where do you have to keep it in your head? Like what's the sorting process for you? I, I tend to use a uh, pencil and paper and I, I write stuff down, you know, for my trio convulsion, I sit down with a guitar and, um, I mean, I also have like a lot of scraps of stuff laying around like a piece of paper. I might pick something up same kind of thing that I wrote years ago. I'm like, Oh wait, this, this makes sense now. You know, um, now I need to think of a, you know, here's a guitar part. Now I need to think of a bass part for it. Or, um, I mean, it's, it's different all the time and every song is kind of different, but yeah, sometimes it's a matter of me just sitting down at a keyboard or a guitar or, or bass and, and really just focusing on trying to get some writing in. And, and I, I, it helps me to write it down on paper. Um, and then, you know, for certain things, I might make a like a little recording at home, you know, so I can hear parts together, um, that sort of thing. Do you bank things? Uh, What's that? Do you bank things as far as like just something that like, oh, this doesn't work for this, but, you know, this is pretty good. I'll, I'll just keep this. Or is it sort of like when it's done, yeah, it passed def- away? Yeah, definitely. No, no. I, um, yeah, I, uh, you mean like these scraps of things I haven't yeah. been used? An, an unfinished yeah, I mean, uh, thing that you know has some value or merit. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I keep all that stuff, and I mean, it could end up anywhere. It could end up end up in a, you know, solo clarinet piece or something. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Like, um, uh, yeah, anything that I remotely like, but not am not sure what to do with it. I set it aside, and and you know, go th- I go through that pile of stuff once in a while, and um, sometimes I don't even remember what it is, you know, so or what it was supposed to be. I'd like to answer from uh, both you guys on this, but uh, what's your, what's your mindset behind cover songs? What makes a good cover song? What are ones that you can think of that you you picked? You thought it went well. What are ones that you thought you picked and maybe didn't go so well? So, Buzz, start with you. Oh, we, we played cover songs since day one. Um, um, uh, I've always loved loved doing that. It's always been a part of our band. Um, uh, it's mostly out of a love of music, just love of those songs. Generally, we did a record a while ago called uh, "Everybody Loves Sausages." Oh, right, that's is, the one that's got it's got the Kinks cover. It's got the Ven- uh, Venom, I think. It's got the Venom, Bowie. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tales of Terror, and it was basically the idea was that we were going to do covers of songs by bands that were big influences on us that maybe people hadn't thought of. And unfortunately, that kind of got lost. People didn't really realize it. People were like, covers record, blah, blah. I was like, well, no, it's more, it's more of that. It's more, this is what we're into. It's not exactly, might, might not be what you guys would have associated with us, you know? 
That's not, funny because I, I, I got that immediately, but I guess I'm the target audience for that. So I don't know. You know, I would hear, I would write, read these reviews and I'm like, well, cover record, that's usually when the band's about to break up. Blah, blah, blah. Well, we already have an album. <laughs> well, and then you even have that song that's like in the style of Throbbing Gristle, which I think is amazing. You know, like that's, 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 yeah. I thought it was pretty clear, yeah. but I don't know. Uh, not, not at all. You can't, you can't please everybody. I think most people got it, but, uh, um, uh, and so, you know, we, we always love playing stuff like that. Um, this last couple tours we've been, I don't know if we did in the last one, but one before we were playing a sway by the stones, which I oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. That's a good one. People weren't expecting that. I got really got into the open G tuning on that. And, uh, lately I've been last 15 years or so been super into odd tunings, but I've been doing that since the late eighties. So nothing weird, but, uh, uh, covers to me are, are uh, um, more of a, uh, how much we love that stuff as opposed to, you know, um, well, maybe this, this would be a hit, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Can, can you think of any that you thought were going to be good that just didn't land that didn't like do what you wanted them to do? Um, we played for a little while. We played pinhead by the Ramones. It never really came out the way I really wanted it. Ramones are actually deceptively tough to do well. I think we can get the music right. We can just never get the vocals right. For some reason, but Bungle Bungle always played covers. Yeah, I remember a, uh, tr- Sunfall and all kinds of other shit. Oh yeah, we, do all kinds of you know obscure soundtrack tunes and cantina you know, song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or you know like um, you know in Indian pop, Indian or you know Bollywood stuff. Any kind of any. But yeah, I, I uh, second that notion that buzz mentions there of, of you know that you pick a cover song because you love it you know and you're like oh man this is a great song this will work for this band you know or this arrangement yeah. or something and yeah. um, i mean i also uh, like the idea of you know usually those songs are already uh, have been done so well that's why you like them so much you know so right. it's it's always a good idea to do something with it to make it your own in some way you know and um uh, Instead of the pointless cover song of like, well, that sounds exactly like the original, so I don't really know why exactly, that exists. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a band that um, uh, recently released a cover of a Mr. Bungle song that I wrote, and you know I was flattered that they did that, but then I heard it, and I'm like, man, they didn't. It could have been they could have done something way different with this. It's just know? a very straightforward re- uh, rendering of it. Kinda. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> so so trevor can you think of something that just you know didn't land or didn't hit the way that you wanted to in the in the past uh or has that never happened i don't know i think you i think well it's probably happened but i can't i just i don't remember yeah but i mean that obviously it's something that would be you'd figure it out in the rehearsal you know be like oh this isn't eh that's this isn't the way i thought it was going to come across or something i don't know I, nothing comes to mind right now but i remember uh, time i asked him i asked him trevor trevor you're a big van halen fan do you think you could you could do you think you could ever figure out the bass part for uh, running with the devil <laughs> and he sits there, he sits there about it for a while he's like uh oh fuck you <laughs> there, there's a great uh there's a great story i think it might be on the megadeth behind the music if i remember correctly but i guess dave mustaine was a uh, 
living in an apartment downstairs from the guy who uh, ended up becoming the bass player of, of Megadeth. And, like, I guess he would just practice running with the devil, like, all morning. But, like, Dave Mustaine was only hearing the bass part. So it was just, dude, dude. Dude, like right. all day long, <laughs> they just goes up and and he, and he like you know bam 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 knocks on the dude's door just and just like hey man, what the fuck are you playing up here? It's like running with the devil. It's like oh, and then that guy ends up becoming the bass player of uh, Megadeth. So <laughs> Megadeth, yeah, the good old Megadeth. <laughs> we toured with them on Ozfest. Oh, did you really? And Peace sells who's buying is a good song. They have one good song. Sells peace shells down by the peace shore. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked earlier about uh, we were talking about uh, directors and doing things like um, you know directing an album or, or a tour or a show or whatever like like a movie that reminded me that I wanted to talk about uh, my favorite Phantom Us record, which is the director's cut, uh, and specifically just because I haven't heard that much about it, and I think it's a very interesting. Uh, I'm a big film nerd myself, so I thought it was like wow, what a cool idea! Like take this like wild you know, cartoony, bizarre band and like reimagine or do covers anyway of these different uh, iconic uh, pieces of, of film history, like the, these these theme songs. So what did, I mean, did, did Patton just say like, hey, we're doing, this is what we're doing. Like what, how did that, how that conversation go? Like, was it organic? Well, like, it, it was kind of the same like any other records. It was, uh, they were all his choices. It was his, um, decision from the get-go to to arrange them that way and and to choose those songs. So he, I think he probably like the other records. He just presented us with a demo and said, "Okay, now learn this." Yeah, I, I remember he kind of said, um, uh, uh, "I want to do this record. If you, if you have any good ideas for songs, you know." I was like, "Okay," and so then I made some ideas for for some of it and then uh then i realized that um they probably isn't going to do any of them so I, I i don't i don't think i sent it to and one of them, one of them, uh uh the shining the theme from the shining which we ended up doing on nude boots oh yeah oh, that's right yeah of course yeah because I, I, I always thought that would be a great cover and um after the record is recorded i mentioned that to pat and he was like oh that would have been really good. <laughs> <laughs> like after it's already done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, after the, the, the uh, director's cuts already done, but Mike's, Mike's really funny. And especially in his band. And I, I knew this from the beginning, he, he'll come up. His, his diplomacy is very strange. Like he'll come up to you with like, here's two album covers. You know, we're trying to decide which one we're going to use. I'm thinking this one. You know? yeah. So you might as well just go. Sounds good Sounds to me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> approved. So yep. there, we decided what album. Cover <laughs> yeah, yeah. Technically speaking, you were consulted. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not going to argue with it. It's fine with me. I mean, I, you know, and, and, and it's not a bitch. It's not a, a diss because when you think about Thanos, the, the amount of work that he had to put into right. into that to do it, it's not not to be uh, dismissed at right. all. I would take man. That's a hell of a lot of work. Reworking those covers, writing all that material, that's not, and doing it, it is his baby. It is his baby. He came up with that stuff. It's not not a, not a collaboration at all. And so there's something to be said for that. Mike has a vision, yeah. and I was happy, happy, happy to be involved in it. More than happy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, that was never a problem. 
Mike's one of the weirdest guys on the planet, but uh, <laughs> there's no question there. But that's I, 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 I consider Mike. I consider Mike a friend. Of mine, so you know, that's coming from Buzz Osborne, by yeah, the way. Gonna... Yeah. <laughs> game yeah. respect, game, uh, as they say, right? <laughs> me and Trevor, we would always laugh with Thanos. Thanos was like literally. Uh, why do things the easy way when you can do it the hard way? Yeah, do things the hardest way possible. Exactly. Yeah. I think no we, we have, didn't we have some formula that we were, it would took, took us an hour to rehearse one second of music. <laughs> one minute of music equals 18 hours of rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's really in actuality, we didn't really rehearse that stuff much at all. Not at all. You know, we would have very little rehearsal. And uh, um, a lot of it was me and Trevor just figuring out, out stuff on our own or rehearsing on our own. Yeah, yeah. To get through the shows. And, anno- get through the show. and annoying Dave Lombardo with Slayer quotes, as we recall from earlier. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Dave's, a weirdo. Dave's a weird cat, too. Very strange cat. Um, uh, uh, but uh, uh, once again, that's coming from me. But, uh, but the whole thing was the whole thing is really musically and. Uh, uh, with all the dynamics that went on, one of the weirdest things I've ever been involved in, I would say. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's lots. We can get into detail of lots of stuff. It's, it's, you know, the, the, the uh, rehearsals, re- rehearsals for that band reminded me of like, you know, there was when I was in high school. I used to do these. Uh, I played in a couple musicals. You know, like the Fantastics or Guys oh, sure. and Dolls. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I played in the orchestra pit. You know. And it was always, you know, limited amount of rehearsals, a bunch of people trying to get all this thing together. So it was, we were literally, you know, making changes and getting things uh, together up until curtain call, you know? So it was, there was always this kind yeah, of yeah. anxiety with it. And I, I remember the the first rehearsals with Phantomos feeling the same way. Like, oh man, the yeah. curtain's about to open and we barely know how <laughs> like to you, You're holding on, like just white knuckling your way through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Gonna work or it's not gonna work. And, and <laughs> some of it was a train wreck. But I mean, look, you can make gigantic mistakes even with stuff you've practiced millions of times. Right. Generally, if yeah. I make a mistake, it's not because I've gotten to a spot I can't, I have a hard time playing. I just have a brain fart and fuck the whole thing up on some easy part, usually. Right. You no. Know? Well, the Phantomos thing, we had a, did a tour with Terry Bozio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, because I actually wanted to ask about that. I think that's very fascinating. He came and learned all that stuff and played, and it was, I thought playing with him was really fun, you know? So, did yeah, you? I, I mean, slightly different uh, type of music than, say, Missing Persons or <laughs> or whatever, right? But, yeah. like, obviously he's played well, with Zappa. <laughs> Guy's got chops. <laughs> yeah, and he's super into Miles Davis and... Yeah. uh, uh there was one night in particular, I don't know if you remember this or not, or not Trevor, but um, uh, Terry, we, we, we would do, we were playing in Finland and Terry um, was talking about, uh, uh, oh, one of these nights I'll, I'll play the Black Page. You know that uh, uh, Frank Zappa drum solo that Zappa wrote for him. And it's super insane. It's like, you know, um, um, why they call it the Black Page? Because there's so many notes, the page is black. You know? so, <laughs> and so, we play the show. We play the show, and, and he did a fantastic job. I really liked playing with Terry. It was really fun. It was really fun to see him figure out what how heavy metal stuff worked. You know, he was having trouble with it, and then one day he comes in. And he goes, "I got it. I got it. I got it figured out." And then he could do everything Dave Lombardo, like all this double bass stuff, exactly the same as Lombardo. Once he figured it out, it, drumming to him was it wasn't even hard. It was easy. You know, like like. Uh, on a tangent he goes drumming's easy guitar playing's hard 
I don't know why you think drumming is easy, is is hard because look, he t- takes a piece of paper at my house and on one side of one piece he goes, this is all I can do. He writes down the music. This is all that I literally can do. That's it. That's all a drummer, one drummer can do. That's it. Why is that hard? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he made it on half a page. He goes, that's literally all the things that I'm capable of doing. That's it. That's all you have to do. That's it. But, uh, um, uh, which I thought was just like, you know, he goes, what you do is hard. Playing guitar, that's hard. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> drumming to him, because drumming to him just it just came so easy and so naturally. Obviously, he rehearsed a ton, but he just understood it inside out. It's coming from a different I mean, place, didn't, yeah. yeah. Didn't you think? I mean, it was just like it was another thing for him. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the drums are an extension of his limbs, pretty much. Yeah. It was, it was, so we do this show, and I know I know for a fact that he didn't rehearse it because he, there's no way he could have rehearsed it. I would have seen him rehearsing it. He never rehearsed it. We've been on tour for weeks, uh, two two weeks or something at that point. And we get down to the show, and he goes, just a second. You watch this. Walks back out, sits down behind the drums as after the show's over, you know, last encore or whatever, sits down and plays the whole Black Page drum solo. <laughs> And then gets up, and I'm just like, there's not, and all the people that are there, they're still there, and they're just like, what the fuck? What just happened? You know? yeah. <laughs> and he just sits down and does it. And it's this nutty solo, you know? Yeah. And just like it, was, like it was no big deal. I was one of the, one of the most impressive, craziest things I've ever seen. That was, that yeah. I remember, I remember sitting like at the side of the stage watching him and just being, this is amazing. I mean, this, and it was written for him too, which is the other great yeah. thing. Yeah, that is crazy. That is crazy. And, and this is a dude that like, he's played with Tony Levin, right? Like, I mean, he's played with like, you know, ma- like masterful players that are just like, you know, yeah. exemplary Everybody. in the field. Yeah. 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 He was the first guy that really would explain to me what was really, really, really good about electric Miles Davis stuff. Mm. Why it was really good. You know, why he liked these drummers, why yeah. he didn't like this, you know, and why, what made these people really good. Why, you know, why certain songs on those records we had, you know, you'd have hours together on tour sitting there. And, 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 and I always enjoy being around someone who is that passionate about anything. And once you get them going, talking about it, it's like you'll always learn something, even no matter what it's about, you know, whether it's about cement mixing or working at a bank. If they're that into it, you'll learn something. <laughs> yeah. So it's always funny. Fun. I call so, that information so, shrapnel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To just you just kind of bathe in the amount of amount of stuff that they know about a certain thing. It's really really quite enjoyable. Well, as a bass player, uh, Trevor, like what you know the the rhythm section is is so key. Uh, ideally, in, in all music, but certainly in the in the type of music that that band is. Obviously, Lombardo's a badass in, in his own right. Uh, Babazia was like it, it's like a different coming from a different spot. Like, was there any kind of were you in your head at all about that, or was it was it was it pretty chill? Like, did he make it really easy? Like, what was the experience of of, of changing up like he, that? He he was chill. I mean, you know, I, of course, when I, I mean, I guess I felt this way about Lombardo too. You know, like before meeting them and playing with them, you're you know a little it's bit intimidated. You know? Jesus Christ! Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and I knew I know who Bozio was too. It's like, man, you know, this guy's gonna like can play circles around me, you know, if he wants to, but total professional, totally cool, totally humble, you know, um, um, really worked hard to make it work and to fit in to, into a place that wasn't, you know, because that music was written for Lombardo. It wasn't written for, was it? So it wasn't necessarily in his voice. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but he, you know, he was there to do a job and he did it. It was great. Yeah. He did love and beyond. 
Yeah. Was really yeah. Great. Did he ever you explain know. what was the crossing the Rubicon for him to understand where it was coming from when you mentioned, or was it just, he just figured it the out? Heavy- yeah. Did he listen to something or like what did he say? <laughs> I don't know what he did. He just came in. He goes, I got it. I got it. Do you remember that? I, that I remember that. one day he was, I remember one day he was like, Oh wait, it's like a polka beat. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> but then, then he could do it all flawlessly. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. It's just like, rah, 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 yeah, rah, rah. Yeah. I see what those guys are doing. Got it. Got it. You know, yeah. that was it. Once he, once it, once the veil was lifted, it was like the, the jack in the box comes out of the box and yeah. there it is. <laughs> and away you go. And Lombardo, I was intimidated by Lombardo too until about five minutes after we started playing, I realized he's just another goof like us. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, yeah. It's like maybe coming from a quote unquote different scene or whatnot and, and like have been on this incredibly iconic record that he doesn't necessarily realize was as iconic as it was. But uh, yeah, he's just another, he's just another fellow playing <laughs> weird heavy music, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other goof, you know, that's it. So, man, the intimidation thing just went out the window. And so we would have me and, me and him and uh, and Trevor would have, we'd have these great jams before, like maybe before Patton would get there or whatever. And and he said that those guys at Slayer never did that, never ever did really? that. Really, really. So it was, it was huh? Never. He goes. It was never. It was never fun like this to play bullshit covers, you know, between yeah. takes. Where you know, we had a lot of fun. It was really relaxed. Yeah, under circumstances, you know, at sound checks we'd play. I, I don't know. It could be anything. You know, St- Judas Priest cover into a Beach Boys song. I don't know anything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, Beatles or whatever. You know, just that was always a lot of fun. Well, but once you, once you really just human beings, you, you can always find something to identify with them. On, you know? And you, you guys all have the depth of musicality and, and interest for that to be exciting too. You know, that's something where, like, you know, it's it's not like anybody's speaking Swahili necessarily. You, you got a similar lexicon yeah. that you're working with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Trevor, can you? More good times. Oh, you know? sorry, Buzz. I didn't mean to talk over you there. More good, more good times than bad times. Good, good. <laughs> so, Trevor, can you talk to me about uh, speaking of awesome players, uh, you know, getting getting together with a. Dwayne and uh, Stainer for uh, Tomahawk. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, similar thing, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, that's a band. Those guys have a rapport already before I joined that band. And I, I didn't really, I didn't know them. Actually, I don't think I knew either of them before. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we started working on, I guess the first thing we did was we started working on that record Oddfellows together. So, I mean, all the Dwayne writes all the Dwayne basically writes all the music, and then Patton kind of embellishes it and writes the vocal melodies for it. Um, and you know, that's a that's a type of band where I'm I'm like the hired hand in that. You know, right? And I, you know, I mean, there's there's some I, there's some liberty for me to you know mess with the bass lines and stuff, but it's pretty much all mapped out. Um, but yeah, totally. I mean, I I play with so many different kinds of musicians that that every one of them is different and unique in a in a way you know and and um stanier has like amazing time and he's he's you know he's another heavy hitter you know i i mean i i guess i gravitate towards drummers who can who really beat the shit out of the drums you know and um Dwayne's style of writing i really like i you know i like his his his, his weird sense of harmony and stuff and and uh yeah, so that was pretty easy band for me to slip into. 
Sure, sure. And, and you know, Dennison, obviously, you know, decent guitar player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Write some cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. Did you find that, uh, you know, having been in, you know, having done Tomahawk with Mike and having done Phantomas with Mike and Mr. Bungle with Mike, like, do you, do you feel like you have sort of like a an immediate, like, almost telepathic knowledge of what he's going to do or is he still unpredictable for you? Um, there's definitely like, I mean, it's, it's like playing with anyone for a certain amount of years. I'm sure buzz has this with Dale or two or something, you know, you, there's certain things that start to become part of your language, but I mean, my role, all three of those bands that you mentioned, my role in them is, is actually pretty different. Like in Bungle, I'm collaborative and Phantomus, I'm strictly, you know, hired hand and which is similar to Tomahawk, except the Tomahawk is like, as a, as a bass player, it's like super easy. And which is one of the things that's really fun about it. I can just, <laughs> I, I can just get up on stage and rock out and, you know, play, play some running with the devil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Play some eighth notes, quarter notes. <laughs> well, and then I, I like doing that. And then I don't make as much money when you do it. You're not really working. <laughs> yeah. Are you paid by the note? <laughs> yeah. So, then, uh, well, and for whatever reason, it, that also makes me think of Secret Chiefs, and that, that I mean, that's more like Trey's, uh, Trey's deal, right? That's exactly, yeah, that's Trey's baby, and he, I mean, he's got a bunch of fascinating dude. I had him on my old show uh, years back, but really fascinating guy. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, he, you know, he has a bunch of different versions of that band too. You know, so um, depending on what kind of music he's going for i mean it's there's all kinds of uh, subcategories with that band but um yeah the the very first secret chiefs record there was there's some improv stuff that me and trey and danny did together and um but that was i didn't even know at that point trey was just kind of recording us in random studios you know did you even know what it was at that point was it anything no i didn't i didn't i didn't really know what it was until the record was finished you know trey put that all together himself and but there's definitely some you know in improv stuff that was collaborative but i i've never really been a uh you know uh involved in the writing in that band so and again this harkens back to what we were talking about with the with the gifts of sacrifice record like where do you feel is the the natural point for you to extend what you're trying to do to add to a composition like do you feel like there's a that there is a line does it depend on the player does it depend on the composition the song like where where are you being the most value added and, you know, it, it, does it matter by personality? Is it something that like, you know, what, what part of your brain is working on that as opposed to, you know, working as we mentioned as the, the captain of your own band for the trio convulsant and well, I, where's the line? I, I think it's, I think it's a vague line and it changes. I think it's all of those things that you mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's what's good for the album. What's good for the song. What's, you know, um, and, you know, in the, in the way that me and Buzz worked on this record is, you know, like I was saying before, it was all pretty, there was making those decisions pretty quickly, you know? Um, so I, you know, there is, there's no formula for any of it really. Um, if there was, that would, you'd probably be able to hear it, you know? Uh, so, um, yeah, it just depends on a lot of things. Trevor, do you have a favorite Melvin's record? Uh, 
I really like Stag, actually. I, re- I remember when that record came out when I lived in San Francisco, and and uh, I think it was kind of probably their most produced record at that point in their history. So uh, for some reason, uh, yeah, I just really remember listening to that record at home a lot. Buzz, what's the uh, most underrated thing that Trevor's done in your uh, in your guys? <laughs> hmm. That's not gifts of sacrifice because we don't know yet on that one. We, we toured with Trio Convulsant. That was a lot of fun. I really liked. Thought they were great every single night. Um, I think Mary's a really great guitar player, and you need guitar love to, player. Really cool. We yeah. get, um, we get a chance. I would love to do. Uh, I think a, a tour together with me and Trevor at, at, with her opening would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Interesting. That'd be really cool. She yeah. did some, she did open for me on some of my solo acoustic shows uh, when I did my last tour. Um, and that was great. I, um, uh, I like that a whole lot. Um, the mad love stuff. I don't think was taken to its, to its uh, bitter end by any means, you know, um, probably those two things. I would have liked to seen go a little further. Maybe. But I don't know the ins and outs of how all that works. So, um, but uh, uh, you know, I I, I I think there's a a lot. Trevor's just at the beginning. I think of what he's going to do. To me, you no, know, I think the only thing that's going to stop him is whether he wants to do it or not. That's it. You know, not not his ability or uh, him running out of ideas or anything like that. So he, uh, as long as he doesn't get addicted to crack or depends <laughs> <laughs> how long I stay up here in Humboldt. <laughs> That's why you're there. You went to Humboldt to try to chill out. <laughs> pick, a, pick up a recreational crack habit while you're at it, you know. <laughs> from all the crystal you're doing in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good thinking. Um <laughs> I, I don't think, you know, I mean, I heard a, I heard this professional skateboarder say this thing. And I really liked it. It was like, the reason you retire is because either, number one, you don't want to do it anymore, or, or number two, nobody cares. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why you retire. Yeah. So I think that would really be the only, only thing. If he just decides, really, it's only number one, if he decides he doesn't want to do it, there'll always be room for him to do something. He's busy all the time. Trevor? I mean... Oh, go ahead. That's yeah, right. I have to really, if I want to do something with Trevor, I have to work around 10 schedules. Of his. Get on his calendar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was just going to ask if, uh, what, what is up with the mad love stuff? Is that, is that on the table to talk about or no? Uh, no, not right now. I mean, it's something I want to do again at some point. Um, I'm working on a few other things of my own right now. So, um, uh, um, yeah, it, you know, that's that's a record I'm really proud of, but never really didn't really tour it. You know, did a couple tiny mini mini tours, and then and just you know, um, I don't know for whatever reason. I think I was too busy playing in other people's bands right. to really. Put <laughs> so a you're a big, you're a busy fella, so it, you know it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I'm trying to do more of my own stuff these days. So yeah, and and that's something where finding that balance. How do you find that balance? I mean, right now it's 
pretty easy because you know nobody can tour right you're hanging right, on humboldt right. so yeah. that's a pretty easy solution there but like how do yeah. you find that balance between all these disparate uh projects and bands and i'm not I'm still not sure <laughs> <laughs> fair enough yeah it's, it's as a- long as you keep your as long as you keep your feet moving everything's okay yeah as I long thought- as you- you know, probably saying no is probably the <laughs> real solution. Into, into, yeah. Have the world word no enter your lexicon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, the, the problem is I enjoy doing all of it. So, you know, it's not like I don't want to do it or something, you know. Yeah, if you don't want to do it, that's really the problem. You know? Right. Well, yeah. That's... It's like, you know, I just don't want to do another tour. I don't want to go on tour. I don't want to make another record. I don't, right. Know. Well, the, the kind of the, the, the criteria for uh, accepting a gig is, or it's based on three things. Is it, am I going to make money? Am I going to enjoy the people I'm working with? And I'm I going to enjoy the music. So, um, if you no, no, no. Those- <laughs> <laughs> and a shutout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if you got two of those, you know, if the money's good, but you're going to hate the people, you know, you might want to take it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the best part they gave me the money <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite thing about it when I cashed the check <laughs> that's right yeah, when the check cleared <laughs> did uh, I, do either of you guys uh, and, and again just to be clear the gift sacrifice is going to be out uh, August 14th depending on when you're listening to this it's either in the future the present or the past because causality is an outmoded concept uh, do you have a favorite song on the record, do you have something that uh, you think you you would you would uh, like people to hear more than others? I liked uh, "Delayed Clarity" and uh, "I'm Glad I Could Help Out." Those are my two favorites. Both great tunes. Trevor, Trevor. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually I don't um, I, I listened to it when Buzz sent me the master, but I'm not even uh, <laughs> sure which one is which. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, you well, know, I, I always name usually i'll name the songs later a lot of times so that actually is something uh, i was going to close this out but i that actually is something i wanted to ask you buzz I, i've always liked your song titling <laughs> which is an art in and of itself and i was wondering what your process is with that because i th- we've never talked about that and i'm kind of curious i'm a list maker like i said and i have lots of things like that um lists of ideas for lyrics for songs i write them down whenever i hear them i've been doing it for years and years I keep notebooks with me all the time and I write stuff down all the time. That I remember, or I'll, I'll uh, make a note on my phone and then write it down. So if I need lyrics and I'm stuck. I'll go through my list of stuff that I have copied down for whatever reason, you know, like one of the songs, mental vomit. And I don't know where I heard that. <laughs> I have no idea. And then other ones I, I, I'll hear, you know, like science in modern America. It was like a catch for some TV show or something, you know, like a, on a, you know, like a, on a radio or I heard it on the radio or something. Years ago, I don't remember you know exactly when, but you know, I'll hear something like that. And go, that's a really good song title. Housing, luxury, energy. You know, <laughs> that was I can't remember. I think I got that out of a catalog. You know, I'll just read it. And sometimes stuff like that just jumps off the page. It's the same with my photography. You know, I love taking pictures, and you're just walking around, and all of a sudden you realize that would be a good picture. Yeah, I don't know. You just have to have the ability to recognize when something's good. That's it. Well, one of the things I like about Instagram is it is there. There's there's less opportunity for people to screw it up uh, with just you know a lot of uh, uh, other nonsense that, that goes with it, like some of the other social media. And yeah, if if you're doing it right, there's a lot of really cool things to look at on there. And that's uh, 
That's the only social media fun. And it's the only pictures that I take. No, not no pictures of me. I'm behind the camera. <laughs> I've always had a really intense love of photography, so it's a nice outlet for that. Which is good. Well, I'd like to thank you guys so much for being on the show. It's a it's a pleasure talking to you. It's a great record. I, I really dig it. I mean, it's uh, something that people should buy, listen to. Uh, Gifts of Sacrifice, <laughs> King Buzzo with Trevor Dunn, and uh, you can find that on Ipecac. There's a there's a band camp. It's on all the normal things that that, that you, you you get things on. It's cool. come on, you got the internet. Yeah, thanks for I'm super happy with it. It's cool. Thanks for yeah, great. Thanks yeah. for having us, and uh, you've always been very supportive, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you. And you, Trevor. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Talk to you later. Take it easy. Talk to you guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, there they go. There they go. Science of Modern America.
All right, that was a little science in modern America. King Buzzo, Trevor Dunn. That's off of the uh, Gift of Sacrifice record. You can get that on uh, Ipecac Records, uh, kingbuzzo.bandcamp.com, uh, I don't know, Spotify, YouTube, <laughs> whatever. However you get the stuff that you get, that is how you would, uh, that's how you would get that record. Can you hear me now? Love those dudes. That was great. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Hopefully you did it as well. The name of the show is Kona Neutrons Protonic Reversal. This show airs Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific, as well as other times. This has been a special stay-at-home edition. King Buzzo, Buzz Osborne, and Trevor Dunn. The show airs on Radio Nope, radionope.com. Say yes to Nope. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Live listeners, stay tuned for a new episode of Live from the Barrage. This is my farewell Radioneutron.com for the archives. Patreon.com slash Reversal to... Signing off. Get the episode sooner. One dollar a month will get you there. Mr. and Mrs. America... All ships at sea. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. I've got 50,000 watts of power. Yeah, if you are someone that is interested in helping the show. Uh, sharing around does that so thanks everyone for doing that there's been a pretty big big amount of that lately and uh, it's appreciated this thank you microphone turns sound into electricity okay stay safe out there can you hear me now and take it easy out on route 128 dark and lonely take it easy I got my radio on can you hear me now
Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day See?